Welcome to Zion, everybody that's here with us today. So glad that you have come. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here and excited to get into the Word today. We are in a uh, Lenten series uh, called Killing Our Gods, and we are going over the idolatry that we see, especially in today's world, that we believe God is calling us to put down. Lent is all about giving up, and so we are laying down or giving up the gods that we have placed before our God. I don't know if anybody has ever heard this story in the Old Testament. Saul, King Saul, became very jealous of somebody that was up and coming in the kingdom. His name was David. And David, the people were saying that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. David was just kind of that all-encompassing, up-and-coming leader, and he made Saul very, very, very insecure about his status. Oh, that's right. Sorry, kids. You can go. My son is reminding me, like... <laughs> and so Saul's way of lashing out at David was he began to hunt David to try to kill him. And so David flees the kingdom, and this kind of back and forth goes on. And as you read the Psalms, many of the Psalms were written while David was on the run. And you see just the kind of torture, the, the, um, the sacrifice, and the pain that David was going through during this process. I mean, he was literally hunted like a dog. And there's this moment when the, in the hunt when Saul is hunting David that he goes and he, goes and he sleeps in a cave. What he doesn't know is that David is close by, and David goes, and him and his men see Saul laying there, and they tell David, kill him. And David says, no, never touch God's anointed one. And so they cut off, David cuts off a piece of his cloth instead, and walks away, and, and later on, he shows Saul, he says, I could have killed you, I have your cloth as proof, but he doesn't. And that story, do not touch the anointed one, then has in time morphed into this current day mythology around how churches should see their pastors as king, lord, and uh, emperor over the church. And that story, I remember reading this book, I think it was called Three Kings, I can't really remember it. But it was all, you know, I remember reading it as a teenager, uh, somebody had recommended it to me, and it just, it felt weird reading it, um, because at the end of it, it was just, here's all the abuse that you should endure under a leader, because you should never touch God's anointed one. And I share that story because I believe the idol of power, which is what we're talking about today, is one that is so far seeped into the church and one that is in the church in the West, one that we have to lay down. And what happens is a lot of times when you look at the spiritual leadership of a country or a people group, you see that when the spiritual leadership has bowed down to an idol, has bowed down to worship something that is not God, you see the people have also bowed down to worship 
that God is well. And so many people in our church, as I, I know our stories, we come from places of spiritual abuse where the pastor or the spiritual authority was one of a place of privilege. Literally, I remember, you know, in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, where the, the leadership would sometimes not only figuratively, but literally would sit on thrones on the stage to symbolize the lordship and the kingship over the people. And that lordship and kingship to have a place of power and privilege was do what I want and do what I say. I am the voice of God in your life. But when people quote that verse, do not touch God's anointed, they forget what happened to Saul. What did power do to him? God cut him off and he died with his sons in battle. What happened with David when he had all that power? He saw Bathsheba. He took her and then killed her husband. What happened with Solomon with even greater power with all of his wives and all of the gods that he let come into the land because of it? When he died, the kingdom split, civil war. See, power is something that we desire and we look up to and we want. But when power comes and when we seek it out, it destroys us. Like all sin, it leads to death. Like all false worship, as the Psalms say, it leads to Sheol, to hell. There was an article about a big church in New York City about a year ago, as the, the, the pastor fell into immoral sin and into adultery, all this stuff started to come out. And one of the things that I read often as I read the stories of these people that were part of this large church was how they would cater to the needs of this pastor and the staff. And all they would do was do everything this pastor desired, no matter what precarious place it would put them in. And how the pastor and the staff and all the different staff, the pastor's wives, all of them, how many know a pastor's wives sometimes can be the worst out of all of them? Thank God for my pastor's wife. <laughs> that the, the, literally person after person said we felt like slaves in their house. This is how they describe serving in the church. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so what has happened, this idol of power has entered into the church. And, and as I read the comments of that article, what, what saddened me the most was to, for people to label their church and their pastors and saying, this is exactly how I feel. Because what has happened is in our system, the system of the world has come into the system of the church and we have propped up the idol of power as one to be worshiped, one to be adored, and one to be sought after, one to be desired. 
But what grieves me so much about this is in the scripture, it is so clear that in the kingdom of God, it is an upside down way of how the world does it, that the people in power are not to be served, but are to be the greatest servants. That is why I cannot stand and I will never be a part of a system where preachers and pastors do not know what it means to serve the greatest and the hardest. That when I see other church planters and when I see other people that want to get into this field and all they want to do is preach, but they never want to do the hard work of serving, say, this is not for you. Go be a comedian. Go be a motivational speaker. That's a better job. That's the platform. But that, the church is not a platform. The church is the bride and the church we are called to serve. In fact, Jesus says this, you can read along on your sheets in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 20 to 30. It says, a dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Think of this, this is disciples been walking around with Jesus every day and they start arguing. Can you hear this argument? Which one of us is better? Now, some of the disciples, some of them were probably late teens, uh, early 20s, mid 20s, just, you know, dumb things that young people would argue about. They wanted to see who, who was going to be the best. And, and Jesus overhears this, this arguing, and he looks at them and he teaches them this. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Let me read that again. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And Matthew, it adds, and the greatest, the one who is a slave. For who is greater? For who is the greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. That's Jesus. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, he says to his disciples. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Basically, in the world to come, you will have your reward in eternal life and the new heavens and the new earth. But here, what are we called to do? Serve. That is the highest calling. We've talked about this so much when we went through 1 John, that love is not a feeling. It is not goosebumps. It is not this, this overwhelming euphoria. Love is action. Love is, if it is given a word, it is serving. It is laying down oneself. It is sacrifice. See, power, as Jesus describes, he says this in verse 25, he says, whoever has authority over them are called benefactors. He's, he's describing the, the patron system in the Roman Empire. That when you were a benefactor of somebody, what, what it was is there was a patron or basically the father of the house and their clients. And everybody that was a patron took care of their clients, but anything that that patron wanted, their clients would have to do if you wanted you to vote a certain way, to riot a certain way, to go to war at a certain time, to uproar at a certain time, to give whatever food they wanted. The patron 
could tell and order the clients around. So he says in the world, you have the title of benefactor. That is the most powerful. This person literally had full authority and control over your life. What does Jesus say? Not so with you. In our world, influence, fame, freedom, winning, these are the definitions of power that at any cost, we want to take power into our own hands. So we, you know, we give into manifesting. We have crystals, sage, all of the different things of the world. Why? Because we want power. And power is what? Power is influence. Power is fame. Power is freedom. Power is winning at all costs. This is what we desire. And we have pastors who want power, and we have people in church, Christians, who want power just the same. Because we look no different than the world. We're like those Gentiles, those disciples that have been with Jesus for years. He's about to go on to the cross, yet still arguing with each other. Who is the greatest? Still we argue with each other. Who has the better title? Still we argue with each other. Who among us is the best? See, in the power of our day and age and power always means that the world can revolve around me. That is power. That my needs and my wants take precedence and, a, and at first place above the needs that you have and your wants. See, power is when there is a crowd of people and I am at the center and my desires then control the work and the time of everybody around me. That is power. See, power is when I become the center of the universe, starting first in my head and my heart, and then second to those around me, and then third, obligatory to the next circle. And this, this is true power. When I can look someone else in the eye and say, well, no, I want it like this. And then that person has to conform to my desire and to my will. That is power. And so when we fantasize many times about power, we fantasize about shedding everything in our life that would make me conform to somebody else's will because I want everybody to conform to mine. We, we, we fantasize about never having to work again because that's somebody else exerting power over me. We fantasize about having influence and fame because that is the world of freedom that is true power in today's day and age. In fact, I read this quote from Alice Eve. She was in uh, one of the main actresses in, in uh, several movies, but obviously I'm a nerd, so she was in Star Trek. Um, different, different, don't get it confused, but I like them both. And she said this, I read this in an article this week, and I thought it was fascinating. She said, sci-fi is cool because it shows powerful women, she said. They're not usually married with kids. They're working for their passion. 
And let me first be first to say there's nothing wrong with being a single woman with no kids. There's nothing wrong with singleness. Jesus was single, had no kids. Paul the Apostle was single, had no kids. There's nothing wrong with it. What is the motivation behind it is really the question. And I found this so interesting because she labeled what being powerful was as this idea of freedom. What is terrible about having a spouse and having kids? Sacrifice. That is the most terrible thing about it. <laughs> Me and Heather have a, a joke. Our first year of marriage, we continually just didn't realize how selfish we were. We, we thought we were pretty uh, selfless until you start living with somebody and you realize, no. Nah, I'm pretty selfish. And so, but I love that quote because it, it, it defines today's day and age of understanding how we climb this corporate ladder, how we live in a world where we can get more fame, we can get more money, we can get more of the things to make the world more and more revolve around us. This is what power looks like. This is what power defined is. But the pursuit of power, we have to understand, is the way of the world. Jesus contrasts it with the way of the Gentiles versus how he calls his people to live in verse 25 and 26. Because the pursuit of power leads to death. It leads to brokenness. If we think of the three most powerful men alive today, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Bill Gates, what do they all have in common? They're all divorced, they're all workaholics, and they're all, their life story is full of broken relationships and brokenness. If you've ever read the biography of Steve Jobs, it is one of the most painful biographies to read as you read about his actual life. I remember always wanting to be like Steve Jobs until I read his biography and then realizing, God, I hope I never end up like Steve Jobs. I remember one of my friends, Christian for years, and he, we sat down and we talked one day. And, you know, I grew up Pentecostal and, you know, in the Pentecostal world, power is, has a different connotation. It is the dunamis power of God. And the power that we strive for to be powerful was to be a healer or to be a prophet or to be um, somebody that could discern things. And so as a kid, I remember having this deep desire for power because I would have fantasies and dreams about being in stadiums and, and people worshiping me. I didn't see it like that, but as I think about it now, that's what it was of he is so powerful because he healed me, right? I wasn't thinking that God is gonna heal them. I would just say, God, give me the power so I can do it. And so I, I grew up and I, I, as, a, as a young adult after college, I'd kind of finally gotten out of this and realized the sinfulness of it, of how using God's power for my gain, like the, the, the magician Simon in the book of Acts when he tried to buy the Holy Spirit. And so I was talking to one of my friends and he sits down and, and we're having this conversation. He starts to sound a lot like I did five years prior. And he kept on talking and he was just like, Justin, I need to heal somebody. I need to have a prophetic word for somebody. I want to see uh, God use me in his power and, and, 
and that's all I'm seeking, and that's all I'm praying, and that's all I want. And that should throw you off because what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? That, yeah, all the gifts of the Spirit are good, but if you do not have love, and that's not the first thing that you're seeking, then everything else you could do, you could pray in tongues, you can prophesy, but you are a clanging symbol meaning you are noise if you do not have love. And so I, I told him, I was like, hey man, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I don't think that you should just solely focus on receiving power. I, I just, I, I think that's a dangerous way to go down because I don't think you're gonna be satisfied, first of all, in that seeking. I don't think God is gonna grant you that wish because I don't think your heart is in the right place. He disagreed with me and kept on going down. I met with him six months later and he then started telling me, he was like, hey, Justin, have you heard of the third eye? I think that's how I'm gonna get this power. And you know, you may think of that, but this is a serious thing. And I was like, yeah, I've heard about it and I think you should be careful. That's not God. And you're starting to step into demonic territory. And, um, but he was like, no, I think this is that, that power that I wanted. This is the way to it. And I was like, hey, you may be getting away to a form of power. That form of power, though, is going to lead you on a path that is not good. And so he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm still going because I, I want this power, Justin. I want it. And so then I started to see, I, at that point, I started, this is not about God. This is not about closeness to God. This was about you feeling mighty in your own right. And so he went down that route. About a year later, my friend was divorced. He had lost his kids. And he was abusing everybody around him in his family, wife, kids, and extended family, because he could not obtain the power that he wanted And so he began to exert his physical power and his verbal power over everybody around him. Right? So I want you to understand that you can can look at things in Scripture and you can say, I want that, like Simon said in Acts. And he saw the use of the Holy Spirit and he said, I want that. But your pursuit of that can still be an idolatrous pursuit that puts something else on the throne of your heart besides Christ. Do you get that? You can pursue the Holy Spirit in a way that is idolatrous because you want the gifts of God rather than God. You can pursue the blessing of God in an idolatrous way. You can pursue the power of God in an idolatrous way. See, but in the kingdom of God, the greater power that you have is is equal or unanimous with the amount of serving that you do. See, Jesus puts it this way. He says, which is better, reclining or serving? Think about it. You're going to the movies. You're going to one of those dine-in movie theaters. You reserved your seat. You got those recliners. You got the table. You're about to watch Batman. I didn't see it yet. No spoilers, please. What would you rather be doing? Reclining at the table and watching the movie? 
or being a minimum wage worker that is going in and serving you the food. Culture, there is only one answer to that. You want to be reclining at the table watching your movie. But what does Jesus say? He says, Jesus is so clear. He says, serving the one who is reclining is greater. Serving is greater. See, leadership, leadership is serving. As I said, Matthew says, right, Jesus says the greater among you should be the servant. And then in Matthew, he adds that the greatest or the number one leader should be the slave. In terms of family life, this is how the Bible word, the, the, the world looks at, if you look at all of history, what does history say about family life? That the father or the dad or the husband is the one that is in control, is the most powerful physically, is the most domineering, and so that person has all the power, right? There is no, for the most part, all throughout history, no rights given to the woman and no rights given to the children, until maybe the oldest son is the one that gets the rights once the father passes on or takes his inheritance that goes his own way. And so what does that look like? Everybody, you can still see it today in a lot of houses. What does the dad do when they get home? The dad is, reclines and gets served. What happens in all of history is that power meant the family will serve me, that I am the one that is in charge, that I am the one that gets his way, that I am the one. And this is how the world sees power, that the father or the husband, the, the most physically powerful in the home, is the one that will always win. That the most freedom, the most rights, all of that is given to him. But what does Paul say in Ephesians about the husband? What is the, he says, yeah, husbands, you're the head of the home. But what does the head of the home do? He compares it to Jesus dying on the cross for the bride called the church. He says, you are the slave of the home. You are the chief servant of the home. You are the one that is supposed to lay down your life for the wife and for the children. Your place of status and your place of power is turned upside down from how the world sees it. Whereas the world, that place of status and power is one of freedom and control and the kingdom of God is the one of slavery. It is the one of servitude. It is the one of sacrifice. Jesus says the greatest is the youngest. When you think of a baby, what is a baby? A baby is in any relationship the most vulnerable, the most unknowledgeable, and the most dependent. That is who Jesus lifts up in his kingdom.
we have taken our cues from culture in a way that has not only destroyed our personal lives, but has destroyed our church life. More church abuse and more church hurt has happened because the saints believe power in the terms of the world and instead of terms of the kingdom of God. When we think of power in terms of the world, it is my way. It is exercising lordship and authority over each other. It is winning at all cost. It is freedom from everything that everybody says and everybody wants, except for what I want. And that has slowly deteriorated at the trust that people who want to seek for God will ever come into his doors to find him. Because we have taken the standard of the world and we have said this is greater, yet that is the thing that leads to death. It will destroy the church, it will destroy a family, it will destroy a workplace, it will destroy our lives. See, if we flip it on its head of the world, then what does it look like to serve? If we want to be an influencer, the world says, do it to get famous. Do it for freedom. How can we look at that through the kingdom lens of how do we help people? How can we serve people? Do we take on a sponsorship just to make money or is it something that is actually helping somebody? As a doctor, do I want to become a doctor in the world's eyes? Is it because of high salary and the prestige that comes with it? See, that is looking at power through the eyes of the world that will lead to burnout and destruction. Or is it because I am called to serve the needy and care for the broken? If I want to be in ministry, is it because I want to have a platform do I want to have a title in the church? Do I want recognition from people? Or is it because the high calling of serving the bride of Christ is what God has put on my heart? The good news of Jesus is this. The good news is that the only power that will enable us to serve is the proclamation of Jesus and what he's done. If you look at your life, if you look at your heart and you say, I am screwed up. When I think of my life goals, when I think of my motivations, when I think of my underlying heart issues, when I think of the desire for recognition, the desire for money, the desire for freedom, the desire for influence, and I think about how that makes me strive towards the goals that I want, drives my decisions, and I think, who will save me from this body of death, as Paul says? In Romans 1.16, it says the power of the gospel. Do you understand that it's not the power of my words? It's not the power of somebody's prayer. It is literally just a proclamation of the good news that has power in it to save us. 
that God, how is he has constructed the world and how he's made it with our very voices that all it takes is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, that he has made that good news to have power worked in it so that when we hear it, the Holy Spirit will work through it and that power will come and pierce our hearts and our minds and will begin the transformation process. That when we hear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he came from heaven and emptied himself of all of his status, of all of his power. That he walked on the earth as a slave. The scripture says that he has served us. And when we hear the good news that through his death and through his resurrection, that we can die with him, but we can also resurrect with him. And in that new life, the old person is passed away and the new has come. And in the new, the whole world in our hearts and our minds is turned upside down and the world of service becomes possible. That now I can look to somebody and say, I will serve. And that is true power in the kingdom. That Jesus, through his humiliation on the cross, naked, with a sign that said, King of the Jews above him to mock him, with a crown of thorns placed on his head, again to mock him as a king. Through that, Lord, teach me to serve. If it's in your home, teach me to serve my family. If it's in your friendships, teach me to serve my friends. In your job, teach me to serve in my job. If it's in this church, teach me to serve. That I would really believe, God, that in your kingdom, the greatest is the one who serves. The one who is a slave is the one that you elevate just as you did to your son on the cross. Lord, help us die to our passions. Help us die to our desires. Help us die to the idolatry of me, the idolatry of everything being about me. Help us die to us reading the scriptures that way. Help us die to seeing your spirit that way. Help us die to seeing our family to serve us that way. Help us die to seeing your Holy Spirit being for that. Help us die to seeing our, our, our jobs being for that, our church being for that. Help us die to those passions that we would be alive to you and only to you and that we would lay down every high place every altar that we have constructed, that we have placed what we want, we have placed control, we have placed manipulation, we have placed Lord domineering attitudes on these altars and said at all costs we will win. Help us burn it at the altar today. And that the power of the gospel The good news of Jesus, servant to all, died for all, rose again, 
that we would live with you in paradise. And it would change us today to serve. Help us to confess and to repent. 